Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Hey, come on, wherever you guys are joining us from today, go ahead and grab a seat. Maybe you're in your, your living room or your kitchen. You know, you're at the kitchen table. Just want to say welcome. Thanks for joining us today. And before we dive in to what I believe God has for us, can I tell you, I'm just so proud of the way our church has been responding to needs in this season. Like, get this, so far we've been able to serve almost a 1,000 pancake breakfasts into our, our city. In fact, we've collected, check this out, and are distributing 2,100 pounds of groceries. And the best part, we just got word that in about a week, the Convoy of Hope truck is going to be here to deliver approximately 35,000 meals that we will be distributing as a church. Come on, wherever you are. I mean, let's give God praise for that. Like, thank you so much for your continued serving, your, your faithful giving, because by your giving, you're helping us make a huge difference in our community. So I would say, hey, please continue to give. But I also want to say this, if you can't and you are personally in need, then call the church. Call our hotline, our, our phone number, 814-969-9478, or email us at help at elevatechurch.com, and we will do whatever we can in this season. Come on, church, we were made. We were made for this. Now, if you've been around Elevate Church for any amount of time, you know that we love to laugh. We love to have a good time. In fact, in just a couple of weeks, we're starting a series called Better on the Other Side. I mean, with so much negativity that's out there right now, we can't wait to jump into something more positive. But today, I want to tackle head on probably the biggest question people are asking in this season. In fact, it's one of the most commonly searched subjects currently on the internet. And for so many people, it's a barrier that keeps them from fully believing and trusting in God. In fact, so many people that are rejecting God are not rejecting the true God. They are rejecting a distorted image of God. And so I wanna to talk today about what might be the most commonly embraced and distorted view of God. And that is this, if God is so good, then why all the bad? Come on, maybe you've asked that question or, or, or it's asked like this. If, if God is so good, then why do bad things happen to good people? Or, or I wanna believe in God, but I can't wrap my mind how a loving and all-powerful God could be so cruel. Why is there so much evil in the world? And can I tell you how many uh, recent conversations like this I've had? And you've probably had them too. Some of those conversations, in fact, have been a little heated because how many of you know when people are hurting, they can have a little bit of an edge to them? And many people will use this global pandemic to disprove the existence of an all-loving, all-powerful God. If there was a God, then this shouldn't be happening. And chances are, many of you have had your own moments like that. Maybe you're today in the middle of that moment where you've been like, I've been praying that, that God would come through for me, or I've been trying to believe, but, but there are all these things that are happening. How can I believe in a God that doesn't seem to care? And perhaps you've been filled with faith, maybe even after last weekend, ready to tackle another week and turn your shelter-in-place order into a shelter-in-peace order, but then you turn on the news, and it's the same fear, it's the same panic that comes rushing back into your heart and mind. 
And even if we remove the fact that we're in the middle of this global pandemic, doesn't it feel like sometimes it's all we see anyway? Another terrorist attack, innocent people dying, domestic abuse, which is on the rise. And we're left looking for answers. How could somebody do that to another person? How could God allow that to happen? Doesn't seem fair. It could be a natural disaster like the tornadoes in in Tennessee during this pandemic, just adding insult to injury. It's like, really, God? Like, where, where are you in that? And it could be something that's very personal. In fact, maybe even where you sit right now, some of you have been through terrible abuse physically and mentally, and you're like, how did this happen? Why did this happen? This doesn't seem to be fair. You could even be full of faith and praying for God to do something amazing in your life because you know he's a great God and you know he can do it, but for some reason, he doesn't do it. Maybe he doesn't take the, the pain away. He doesn't take the headaches away. He doesn't answer the prayer for the child or you're, you're trying your best. You're doing good. You're helping people, working hard, but it seems like everyone else around you is getting ahead while you're falling behind. Whatever it might be, You're left looking for answers. God, are you there? God, are you even good? I want to believe, but how can a a good God allow this suffering? How could a good God allow this pain? If God is so good, right, why all the bad? And I just want to say, if you've ever felt that way or you are currently feeling that way today, let me just tell you that right now, you're not alone. You need to know that you are not alone. And I know that many times we read stories of these great characters in the Bible and we think, wow, they are unbelievable. They are super Christians full of faith. But we never stop to consider that they are real people, that they experienced real emotions. They are looking for real answers to difficult questions, just like many of us. You can go down the list, in fact. David King David, a man after God's own heart, David who defeated Goliath in the Bible, he cries out again and again, God, where are you? God, why don't you hear my prayers? Why don't you do something about this? God, my enemies are after me. Are you even listening? Or how about Job? Come on, just read Job. That's gonna mess some of you up. Here's this really righteous guy and Satan wants to attack him and and he takes his livestock, his career, his family, Away from him, his family is a complete wreck. He gets boils all over his body. His friends are jerk faces. And his wife's like, honey, why don't you just curse God and die? Like, how's that for needing some some marriage therapy in your lowest moments? But if anyone could ask, right, if God is so good, why all the bad? It's Job. But I think the one that maybe messes with me the most for whatever reason is when I read about a guy named John the Baptist If you're not a church person, you may not know the history of John the Baptist. He's the cousin of Jesus, which means the family would probably get together on the holidays like 4th of July or Memorial Day weekend. Actually, they had their own Jewish holidays that they would come together. But later on, John the Baptist recognizes he has a very important purpose. And his purpose is to prepare the way for Jesus. His purpose is to point to someone greater. I wish I had time to to preach on that, that, that your purpose, your calling is not about you. It's about pointing to someone greater and something bigger than us. But he devotes his life to saying, Jesus is coming. Like, get ready, repent of your sins, be be baptized because Jesus, the Messiah, is coming. 
And even when people start to follow him, he's like, no, 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 don't follow me. I'm not the guy. Follow Jesus. He's humble. He's like, I'm not even fit to to lace up his LeBrons, right? He's the man. You need to follow him. Later on, John the Baptist gets arrested, though. And he gets arrested for doing the right thing. So he's in prison. And you know he's, he's thinking, man, I'm so glad I'm the cousin of Jesus. I've been serving Jesus. I've devoted my my life to point people to Jesus. I've seen his power. I know his miracles. I've seen him heal the the sick and raise the dead and open blind eyes, turn water into wine. I'm not worried because my cousin, he's got this. And he's probably even imagined how Jesus is going to to fight for him, going to rescue him in this epic way. Jesus is going to show up with with 10 angels. They're going to be big. They're going to be bad. And they're going to go, all right, Poof, all the bad guys, you got hemorrhoids, right? Come on, don't you wish sometimes Jesus would zap your enemies with hemorrhoids? Maybe you're more godly than I am. But an angel's gonna come and show up and and lightning's gonna flash and prison bars are gonna break open. Music is gonna swell. He's gonna step out. He's gonna be in a fog machine. You know, that's gonna be going and Jesus is gonna be standing there. They're gonna fist bump one another and go, ba-da-da-da-da-da-da. In his mind, right? He's thinking, I'm the cousin of Jesus. He's going to rescue me. And he waits. He's like, I'm telling you, he's coming. This is going to be so sick. It's going to be amazing. And he waits and he waits. Jesus, are you coming? Jesus, where are you? And finally, John sends a message to Jesus through another disciple. He says, hey, go find Jesus and ask him this question. Don't miss this. He says, are you really the one we're expecting or should we be looking for someone else? Hey, what's happening? John is asking the hard question. Jesus, you could do something about this, but you're not. Do you even care? Are you even there? Why would you allow this to happen? If you're a good God, why so much evil, so much bad? And if you've ever been in a place where you wanted to believe, but it didn't seem like God cared, again, you're not alone. So let me tell you what I'm not going to do today. I'm not going to try to defend God. Like, this is why God does these things. I I can't defend God. I don't know God's ways. His ways are higher than our ways. I'm not going to offer you cheap answers to expensive questions. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to insult your intelligence by trying to simply explain things away. And I'm not going to pretend like even I know what you feel because I don't. Instead, what I want to do today, and in my mind, this even takes greater faith, and that is to point you towards a good God and trust in his presence and that his presence will be enough for your life. And so I want to give you three things today, three big thoughts to remember, to embrace. Whenever we begin to ask this question, if God is so good, then why all the bad? If you're taking notes, here's the first big thought to write down, and that is hurting doesn't mean God's not working. Hurting doesn't mean that God's not working, that God always has a purpose in your pain. God has a a plan. I think a lot of times we confuse peace as being the absence of pain or being the absence of hurt in our life, but it's not. That it's, it's in the middle of that pain. That you might not see it, you might not feel it or believe it, but it's there. And we can take comfort that God is a good God who is a sovereign God who never wastes a hurt. Just because you are hurting in this season doesn't mean God's not working. Second Corinthians chapter 4, 
Paul said this, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, all those troubles. In other words, there's a plan to all this. Like beyond the pain, there's a plan. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but instead on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now that's a little bit of a review from last week, but when we look at things through the filter of an endless eternity, all of a sudden what seems heavy becomes light. What seems insurmountable in the moment becomes a momentary thing in our life. And we start to realize that perhaps beyond the pain is something even greater, even bigger than we could ever imagine. But just because it hurts in the moment doesn't mean God's not working in and through it. In fact, let me explain it this way. This is a little gross, all right, but, but I'm good with gross. I, ho- I hope you're good with gross as well. There's a, a little birdie, a little baby birdie. He was flying south for the winter, and he flew into the, the middle of this ice storm. And so his little birdie wings got pelted with ice, and they started to get, get heavy and heavier and heavier, so he couldn't continue to fly. And so he crash lands in a field in ice and snow, and he continues to get, get piled on by ice and snow. And eventually, the little baby birdie was frozen. He's like a little birdie popsicle. And he thought to himself, goodbye, cruel world. This is it. I never thought it would end this way. And a few minutes later, as he is preparing to die, a cow comes along, stands on top of him, stands over him. And there's no really, you know, uh, there's not a good way to say this, but the cow makes a deposit on top of the bird. He just poops on it. And the little birdie is like, are you kidding me right now? It wasn't bad enough that I'm gonna freeze to death, right? Out here in the cold, now I'm getting dumped on by a cow. But all of a sudden, the warmth of the manure, like poo warmth, like I know it's disgusting, but it caused the the ice. This is a true story. It caused the ice to melt on his wings. And the little birdie began to to thaw out and his blood starts pumping again. And so with great excitement and joy in his little birdie body, he starts to sing. He's like, cheep, 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 cheep. He's just so happy that he's alive. When all of a sudden a cat comes along and he heard the the cheeping of the, the baby bird. And so he goes over to the pile of manure and he digs the bird out of the manure and he eats it and he's dead. End of story. So there are four morals to that story. One is not everyone who drops manure on you is your enemy. Two, not everyone who digs you out is your friend. Three, when you're in the manure, keep your mouth shut. And number four, cats are just plain nasty. All right, you know they are. But listen, just because you're facing pain at this moment, doesn't mean that God is not good. And listen to this, just because you would give anything in this moment for that hurt to go away, it doesn't mean that's what's best for you in this season. Hurting doesn't mean God is not working. In fact, there's an encounter with Jesus and a blind guy in John chapter nine, verse one. Everybody wants to know, why is this guy born blind and whose fault is it? And the Bible says, as Jesus went along, He saw a blind man born from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, whose fault is it? Like, who sinned, this man or his parents? In other words, where can we assign the blame, right? That 
he was born blind. Who's to blame? But watch what Jesus says. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened, look at it, so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. There was some working going on. This was a pain with a purpose behind it. This was a hurt that would not be wasted. This happened, it says, so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. You might not see it in the moment. You might not understand it or recognize it. But just because you're hurting doesn't mean God's not working. God always has a plan in your pain. Here's the second thing that I hope you'll remember is this, that pain does not mean God's not present. Come on, painful experiences are not an indication that God is absent from your life. Psalm 46, one says that God is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our what? Our ever present help in trouble. He's ever present. He's always with you. So often we want, we want God to give us, you know, what, what we want. God, give me what I want. This is what I, I think I need. This is what I want. When God wants to show us that he is all that we need, that his presence is with us. There is no greater example of this, by the way, than a a man named Paul. He was an apostle. Paul was a guy who used to hate Christians. Uh, Some of you might say, I hate Christians. You would like Paul, right? But I think he hated them probably more than you. He killed them. But then he has this encounter with Jesus and he's radically transformed. And he ends up doing more for the gospel than anybody apart from Jesus. I'm talking in the, the, the lineage of people doing great things for the gospel. It goes Billy Graham, Paul, and then Jesus. But Paul has this thing that he refers to as a thorn in his flesh. Doesn't tell us what it is. The Bible never says. But we know this thorn was painful. We know it was very destructive in his life because three times Paul begs God to take this thing away. Just like perhaps you have pleaded with God. That there there is some pain, there's some tragedy or hurt in your life that you beg God to remove. And you know, if if God's going to heal anybody, it's going to be this guy. It's going to be Paul, right? After all, he suffered, he was beaten, he was left for dead, he was shipwrecked, snake bit, he was whipped so many times his, his back was riddled with scars. This is a guy who had been stoned, and I'm not like he visited Colorado, you know, kind of stoned, but with rocks. I just need to say that because this is Elevate Church, and we all got a past. Come on, somebody. But surely, God's going to come through for Paul. God's going to remove this thorn. God's going to remove the pain. But what does God say to him in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? He says this, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Heal me, God. Change me, God. Fix my problems. Change my circumstances. Relieve this pain. God says, no, it's my grace that's enough for you in this moment. But God, this is, this is what I want. This is what I need. God says, no, you're wrong. I am what you need. My grace is enough for you. And how many of you know this is something that you can't explain? It's only something that you can experience. Like it's something that you can never tell someone. I can't explain it, but God helped me through it. You can't put words to it. But when you've been there and you've experienced his presence when he's he's carried you and you could not carry yourself, when he's he's lifted you through your doubts, when he's sustained you in your sadness, when he's comforted you, although you didn't want to wake up and get up another day, when he gave you strength to press on, although you were pressed on every side. Like it's in those moments you can testify that he 
is enough. That his grace is enough. In fact, why don't you right now raise your hand in the comment section if you've been there. That you can't put words to it, but God has been enough in your life. And Paul goes on to say that this bad thing is actually a good thing. In verse 9, therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, watch this, I delight in those weaknesses. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. He says, bring on the persecutions. Bring on the difficulties. Why? Because when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, it's his strength that is made perfect in me. When I feel like I can't go on another day, he's there to carry me. Come on, pain does not mean God is not present in your life. In fact, I would argue all day long that he is more present in those painful moments. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He is close to you. The Bible also says, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. So when you cannot make it on your own, when it is too much, when you don't have the answers, when you don't have the strength, when you don't understand, it's in those moments, I would say you are divinely positioned to receive a gift. What kind of gift is that, Colby? What gift are you talking about? It's the gift of God's strength played out in our pain, played out in our weakness, made perfect in our weakness, that in this bad thing, God can bring a good thing. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy right here. His name is Horatio Spafford. As a Christ follower who lived in the the 1800s, Horatio had many reasons why he could have doubted the goodness of God. But no matter what happened in his life, his faith remained strong. Uh, First of all, Horatio lost his four-year-old son to a pandemic, kind of like what we're experiencing today. He lost his four-year-old son to scarlet fever. And then in 1871, he lost everything, his wealth, his business, his property, his law practice in the great Chicago fire, if you remember that. And then two years later in 1873, he faced an event that could have shaken his faith at its foundation. But again, God's strength was made alive in his weakness because Horatio had booked a trip to Europe for his family on a ship and, and business kept him behind. So he, he sent his wife, Annie, and his four daughters on ahead of him. And midway through their trip, the ship with his wife and four daughters collided with another ship. And in 12 minutes, the entire ship sank to the bottom of the ocean. Horatio's wife, Annie, uh, her last memory was clinging on to her four daughters as she was knocked unconscious and her daughters washed away to their death. The only thing that kept Annie alive was that she was knocked out on top of some debris and that kept her afloat. But 12 days after his family had left, Horatio received a telegram from his wife that said, saved alone. Out of the whole family, she was the only survivor. We can only imagine his loss, his pain, his hurt. Horatio immediately boarded the next ship and traveled to be with his wife. And when the ship he was on passed over the spot where his daughters had drowned, then God gave him the words to this song. Maybe many of you know it. It says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, whatever happens, thou hast taught me to say it is well, it is well with my soul. See, it's in moments of weakness that God gives us strength. And you can't explain it. 
It's only something that you can experience. And I pray that God would allow you to experience that strength in this season, that God is present in our pain. And here's the last thing that I, I wanna say. When we begin to question the goodness of God, and that is this, don't trade what you do know for what you don't. The truth is, I don't know why bad things happen. I don't know why God in his sovereignty would allow some of the events that are happening in our lives right now to happen. Uh, and it would be easy for me to say, well, if I were God, I wouldn't let this happen or that happen, but I don't know. And maybe one day I'll know, maybe one day I'll see what he was working out. But here's what I do know, is that God loves me. I do know that God is for me. I do know that God has a plan for me. I do know that, that God sent his son Jesus to die for me. And I do know that, that he was risen from the dead and he gives me everlasting life and doesn't count my sins against me. I do know that he's coming again, that he holds me in his hand. So that's what I do know. And because of what I do know, there is no way I'm gonna trade what I do know for things I don't know. So instead of saying, God, why would you let this happen? I say, because God is for me, he must have a plan. Instead of saying, God, I need you to do this in my life, I say, because God is present in my pain, I'm gonna have peace in this process. I'm gonna fall back on the things that I do know, and I'm gonna trust him until he reveals the things that I don't know. Are you with me? Come on, I'm gonna fall back on what I do know and rise above what I don't know, and ultimately, I'll move from this wondering and worrying to waiting on God because he knows better than I do. I'm not turning my back because I'm hurting. I'm not turning my back because it's painful, but I'm falling back on the promises of God that he never wastes a hurt in my life. I'm falling back on the fact that he is present in my pain. Like, why would I trade? Why would you trade what you do know for what you don't know. You know, if your house is anything like mine, you're stepping on toys all the time in the middle of the night. That's just kind of what we do around our house. But do you know what the worst toy to step on is in the middle of the night? Anybody? Come on, it's Legos. It's these things right here. Now, I, I've said a lot of not so holy things after stepping on some of these in the middle of the night. But I was learning about Legos this week in the name of studying and preparing for this message, of course. The Lego Toy Company is the biggest and most profitable toy company on the planet. It's valued at over, get this, $18 billion. And every second, 10 Lego sets are sold. It's said that there are enough Lego figurines to populate all of Asia. And in 1960, there was a fire in a toy company in Denmark. And the name of the toy company was Lego, which comes from the, the words lay, go. In the Danish, it means let play. And this company most, mostly made and sold wooden toys. But the factory that made the wooden toys burned to the ground. And if you're a business owner, if you put all your time and work and blood and sweat and energy into building your business, like how does that feel? To have it burned down, it's tragic, it's painful, it hurts. And the owner took inventory of what he had left and all that was left was this, this plastic brick idea, this mold that they were playing with. But he's like, I don't see a whole lot of future in, in these plastic bricks. And he called them, get this, automatic binding bricks because they could stick together. But back in the day when they first came out, you couldn't stick them sideways or on the edge. 
all you could do is stack them one on top of the other. They didn't have these, these three little tubes on the bottom of them that enabled you to, to connect them in different ways. So it wasn't until those tubes were added that it enabled them to, to be stuck together in multiple ways. How many different ways do you ask? I'm glad you asked. Two bricks, get this, just two bricks can be stuck together 24 different ways. 24 for two bricks. How about four bricks? Over a thousand. There are over a thousand combinations for four bricks. And if you go to six bricks, it jumps up to 915 million combinations. That's crazy. And therein lies the secret to Lego's success because they're selling creativity. They're selling endless possibilities to, to kids, like literally endless combinations of what they can do. So how did the Lego company get to be the largest toy company on the planet, the fastest growing, uh, worth over $18 billion? Here's how. A factory burned to the ground and they realized the power of a bunch of stuff sticking together. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, maybe the things that you've been handed in life Maybe that, that fire, maybe it was getting laid off. Maybe it was going to a funeral that you never imagined in your darkest days you would go to. Maybe it's a pandemic, a virus that has radically reshaped the way we live our lives. Maybe instead of focusing on those things that we don't have, maybe instead of focusing on what is unknown, we need to focus on what we do have, focus on what is known. And Jesus said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. And so today, maybe you need to lift up your eyes from whatever wooden factory that's burned down or whatever fire you are in and look up and fix your eyes on the eternal. And listen, I know it hurts, but just because something's hurting doesn't mean God's not working. I know it's painful, but God is present in our pain. He's, he's closer in our pain. And if we would just lean to, learn to fall back on what we do know and rise up above the things that we don't know, fall back on God's past faithfulnesses in your life. And can I tell you something? Whenever you're tempted to look at whatever it is that makes you question the goodness of God, like, God, why would you allow this? How could you allow you know, bad things happen to, to good people or how is this even fair? Here's something that I would challenge you to do. Don't just think about it from your perspective, but think about it from God's, from your heavenly Father's perspective, a Father who, who loves you, who has purpose in your pain, who is with you even when you're hurting. When you hurt, you should know God hurts as well. And there are times when God is trying to get our attention, but we aren't listening. And how many of you know hurt has a way of getting our attention? And I think maybe today God is trying to get some of our attention. Maybe in this season, God is trying to get your attention. Because something you should know, God is not immune to hurt and pain. Like he knows what it's like, perhaps more than anybody else to, to hurt. In fact, he loved you so much that he did something that would cause him the greatest pain. And that is to allow his one and only son to be crucified for the sins of the world but he knew that there was a purpose in that pain. The purpose was to close the gap between God and man so that we could know him, so that we could have a relationship with him, so he could give us life and life to the full, the Bible says, so we could have peace and calm in the chaos. And whoever calls on the name of Jesus and, and puts their faith that Jesus paid for their sins would be saved. There was purpose in that pain, and that purpose was you. 
And maybe today you've never crossed that line of faith and allowed Jesus, his sacrifice to pay for your sins. I wanna give you a chance to do that wherever you are right now. In fact, if you just bow your head with me, close your eyes and maybe pray something like this. I just wanna help you with some words. You can use your own. But the Bible says as you confess Jesus as Lord, you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you would be saved. You could be filled with that purpose. You'd be filled with his, his, his spirit. You could have, have peace even though things are painful. You could have calm in the chaos. Right wherever you are right now, just pray something like this. Jesus, today, I surrender my life to you. Thank you for dying for my sins. I repent and I trust that you are the Lord and the Savior of my life from this moment on. I ask the Holy Spirit to come live inside of me and make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. And we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it. So please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.